Thanks, Nandi. What's up, everybody? It's a, it's a real honor to be here. And um, it's an honor to be among so many talented writers and artists. Um, you know, I mean, all my conversations and everything, it was just gotten, there's this project that I, I wish that I actually brought some with me, but it's been hard to get going again. And just being among you, it got the engine going for this thing again. So maybe if I can come back someday, I can, I can read some of this long, uh, this long poem that I've been working on. So I, I want to just make a public thank you for um, all the amazing energy that's here at NPSC. <clears throat> I, did a, I did a Fulbright in the Philippines in 2009, and um, I went back, gosh, twice since then. But um, in 2009, there was a typhoon named Typhoon Ondoy, and uh, this one, Haiyan, was, of course, the worst. But at the time, Haiyan, the one that I was in, was considered like the 100-year storm. Um, there proceeded to be two or three that were um, outclassed it. Um, so this is called Typhoon Poem, and it, the story is real. It's about, um, it's about what a teacher did um, to save her students. Typhoon Poem. The teacher can't hear the children over all this monsoon racket all the zillion spoons whacking the rusty roofs, all the wicked tin streams flipping full-grown bucks off their hooves. Everywhere there used to be a river, there's a bigger river now. Every hard face on the block is sopping, even the court where girls from St. Ignominius ran the roughneck boys off to play their own three-on-three -three in plaid skirts and church shoes for cash. Forget it. The whole city's a flash flood with brawn enough to flush trucks sideways down the capital's widest drives. The crushed tonnage bobs around a bit at the foot of some Spanish bastard statue before it stalls and pools on white church steps. Brute pilgrims, face it. Paddling dogs won't make it. So children got no shot. But quick thinking, the teacher lashes her students two at a time with wire and stray twine. She binds them across their breasts to trees and metal posts lining the street's half-flooded walk. No goddamn way, she swears. She won't let one little one be washed out even if their wriggling makes their armpits bleed, even if the kids must watch a good wood chair catch in an eddy then swirl off, they'll have to make do with the vision of their uncles and neighbors' blue bodies bumping past before they fishtail out of sight. You can't wish away the deluge. You can't vanish the bloated carnage waters. But the tykes, in crew cuts and pigtails, still fastened to shafts and trunks in ragged rows, will survive. For now, their teacher has made them safe by building an orchard of them in the middle of a city road, this small chorus of young, hard, 
fruit, this little grove moaning. So I went to the Philippines for the first time when I was 14, 1983, 84. And um, I didn't go back for almost 25 years. And uh, this poem is about the way that my mother's village welcomed me back. Um, so this is for my beloved, beloved Uncle Charlie. Bienvenida, Santa Tomas. In the middle of my uncle's yard, a goat bound at the hooves wags its tongue. I've traveled 10,000 miles to be welcomed home by a town that knows me only by my middle name and photos sent by post more than 25 years ago. And there is an old man from the foothills of the barrio's far edge who has heard my Uncle Charlie drag this small beast to the block, heard the news by music, the bottles, the banging, the laughter inside the slaughter. The old man limps the half mile by foot up the long dirt road, unshod, a ratty tank top, a brand new Vegas cap, a cut black strip of inner tube draped around his neck. In front of him, he is rolling the whole way, a common jug on its side, emptied of all its vinegar, dusty, immense, to his hip in height and three times the old man's girth. My uncle is strumming the guts out of his ukulele when the old man arrives and sets the huge jug upright, pulls the bike tube off his nape and stretches it across the jar's massive ceramic yawn, holding the rubber strip in place with one big muddy toe. And on the downbeat of the first measure of the second chorus, he joins my uncle in the kind of mooing these beloved geezers swear has several times tricked a field of blossoms into bloom. The old man plucking from the makeshift bass, not so much a moan, but a pulse that ranges a full octave into each man's chest. The sinews of the old timer's arm straining, the long muscle of his back taut, his quadricep, his calves, his black foot pumping blood into his whole awful body, his maw flashing every one of his seven good teeth to heaven. And if a man become the heart of a giant, the song of a giant, each one of us laughing like a giant, if each one of us fulfill the exact measure of a man, and if the goat at the same time is singing as it's dying among men who are singing and dying, the youngest cousin among us, butcher, slaughterer, elbow deep in the animal's belly, does not sing. The carcass bloodlet now also silent, as if its stillness were a source of music too. The way in death one becomes all the sounds one cannot make, the sum total of everything the living cannot say. Sometimes we have to sing just to figure out what we cannot say.
want to, uh, it's quiet as shit in here. <laughs> um, there's some Jersey folks I know in here. So I wanted to, I wanted to read a poem for Jersey heads. This is my love song for New Jersey. Kundiman ending on a theme from Tila Rock. Your morning's everyday stained call of exhaust. Your plum bludgeon dusk, your fine stench and luckless French. Kiss your can I get down, bliss, your God gone, blessed Jones for loam, your Jersey Baroque, your mercy, nine sirens prying, every sky, your name, your flow, your funk, your everyday nasty, your very reverie, your breakneck scat, the loot, your boost, your rags, your 7,000 island slang, your hype, your hips, your spit, your sickest wit and snip, your every severed syllable, your blunt tote fables, your smokes reprieve, your levers torque bearing, your body, every day, every lovely mucking hum, your mic sound nice every check, one, your fade, your cut your knife, your jazz on two, your bass, your every clef, your left breast, your folly, your lung, your modest rock, your alibaba tongue, do you want it? Hell yeah, baby, cause it's yours. Alright. I want to make sure that you all are with me. So I'm going to need some help. Yeah. We do a little call and response. Now, I know this is Vermont. <laughs> but I know the Vermont will make some noise too. All right. When I say Mike, you say nice. Mike? Nice. <laughs> when I say set, you say yes. Set? Yes. Mike? Nice. Set? Yes. Two turntables and a mic? Yes. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Good night, everybody. When I say Mike, you say nice. Mike? Nice. Set? Yes. Mike? Nice. Set? Yes. A two turntables and a mic? Nice. A one fat MC on a set? Yes. A two turntables and a mic? Nice. A one fat MC on a set? You suck. <laughs> a scavenger's ode to the turntable, AKA a note to Thomas Alva Edison. Fuck all of you. <laughs> We lifted the precious arm first, then the platter. We pulled free the belt and unscrewed the top. I didn't take shop or build a whole lot by hand, but I was pretty good with a knife. I poked the half-dull blade clean and gentle through the turntable's plastic. I sawed down four inches straight as I could make it. Me and my boys, sons of cops, Bookkeepers and ex-priests picked up gear other DJs didn't want no more. One prep school kid who just bought a shiny new mixer tossed out his two-month-old Newmark, which we picked up out the garbage and hoisted home. We harvested the slider from the rich kid's rig. I stripped the wire's tips and soldered them to pitch contacts in a basement of a maple split in Edison, New Jersey. We were learning to turn anything into anything else. 
while our mothers played mahjong in the sala and our fathers bent slow horses and the government bombed Iraq, we learned to poise pennies on the cartridge head so the diamond stylus would sit deep in the vinyl's groove. A dance floor could turn from whining to riot quick if a record skipped when we spun back the wax to its cue. We stayed awake from noon to noon, digging out from crates some forgotten voice or violin to scratch. We juggled and chirped. We perfected the grind of a downbeat and dropped it on the baseline coming around. Half trash, half hallelujah. Our hands cut back to bombada and made a dance hall jump. We held one ear to the syncopated kick and the other to a future music that no one else could hear. Out of a hunk of rescued junk, we built a machine to mix our masters. We faded and transformed. We chopped up classics and made the whole block bounce. A two turntables and a mic. Nice. One fat MC on the set. Yes. A two turntables and a mic. A one fat MC on the set. Yes. A two turntables, one fat MC. A two turntables on the mic. Nice. A one fat MC on the set. Yes. Ah, you kind of saved yourselves. <laughs> so a lot of um. A lot of uh, this new book called Brooklyn Antediluvian, um, it's about the flood of memory. My family's history goes through Brooklyn. Me and Miguel were just talking about this, actually. His family and my dad, my dad was a Catholic priest, and his first uh, assignment in Brooklyn was in one of the parishes right in his family's neighborhood over in Williamsburg. So this, this book is a lot about sort of the flood of memory, the flood of gentrification, the literal flood of Sandy, the little, literal floods of the Philippines. Um, it's also, uh, it's also about what happens when the waters recede. And um, I was also going through, I was, I was engaged to get married and that didn't work out. And so it's a lot about sort of me getting my shit together. And uh, so this is a poem about what I do um, in the wake of heartbreak. Any Bill Withers fans? Yeah. The way y'all did that call and response, I won't believe it. God damn. <laughs> I'm playing. I'm playing. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> Broke heart, just like that. When the bass drops, I'm Bill Withers better off dead. It's like 7 a.m. And I confess, I'm looking over my shoulder once or twice just to make sure no one in Brooklyn is peeking into my third floor window to see me in pajamas I haven't washed for three weeks before I slide from sink to stove in one long groove, left foot first and back to the window side, my chin up, both fists clenched like two small sacks of stolen nickels. And I can almost hear the silver hit the floor by the dozens when I let loose and sway a little back. And just like that, I'm a lizard grown, two new good legs on a breeze bent limb. I'm a grown ass man with a three day wish and two days to live. And just like that, everyone knows my heart's broke and no one is home. Just like that, I'm water. Just like that, I'm the boat. Just like that, I'm both things and the whole world rocking. Sometimes sadness is just what comes between the dancing. And bam, my mother's dead. And bam, my brother's children are laughing. Just like I can't pop up from my knees so quick these days. And no one ever said I could sing, but tell me my body ain't good enough for this. I'll count, count the aches right now. One in each ankle, the sharp spike in my back, this mud muscle throbbing in my going bones. I'm missing the six biggest screws to hold this blessed mess together. I'm wind rattled, the wood splitting, the hinges are falling off. When the first bridge ends, just like that, I'm a flung open door.
So me and Miguel found out that we have a mutual friend in Willie Perdomo, who's this amazing, uh, amazing poet. His new book, um, The Essential Hits of Shorty Bonbon, is uh, it's a beautiful book-long elegy for his uncle, sort of a fictionalized version of his uncle's life. And um, Willie lives part-time in Brooklyn. He's originally from, from Harlem. And every time that I see him, man, god damn. Every time I see him, he's, he asks me the same question. He's like, hey, yo, Pat, where are we going? And I'm like, oh, shit, because I know it's going to be a late night. He's like, we're going, we're going uptown, right? And I'm like, I guess we're going uptown, Will. And so uh, this, is, uh, this is sort of my, this is my love poem for my friendship, for my friendship with Willie. He's Puerto Rican. It's also about sort of the, um, the intersections of our histories as um, former Spanish and then American colonies. Uptown ode that ends on an ode to the machete. What happens when me and Willie run into each other on a Wednesday night in Brooklyn? He says, where are we going? And that's not really a question. That's an ancestral imperative. <laughs> to hail any yellow or gypsy that'll stop on Franklin and Lincoln, to fly us over the bridge, then zip up the east side where the walls are knocking to Esther Williams or Laveau. And you know Willie daps up Orlando and I say, what's good? And it don't take three minutes for me and Will to jump on the dance floor or post up at the bar sipping on barelito to tap on my glass a corny cascara with a butter knife like Antito Puente, but I got no clue. I really sound like a 78 gremlin dragging its tailpipe the length of 119th. Which is to say, it don't take long for Willie and me to be all in. And that's when, out of nowhere, in the middle of the rooms, boom, brada, macumba, candombe, bambula, this Puerto Rican leans over and says to me, real slow, everybody, is trying to get home. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. Because I'm on First Avenue between 115th and 116th, not even invested in the full swerve yet. It's not even five past midnight, and Will is dropping science like that. Allow me to translate. There are neighborhoods in America where a man says one simple sentence and outflow the first 17 discrete meanings of home. If you haven't been broken by the ocean, if your own weeping doesn't split you down into equal weathers, monsoon, say, and gossip, if you can't stand at the front door of an ancestral house and see a black saint staring down at you, no name, no judgment, if you haven't listened to the town drunks laughing underneath the tree they planted so they wouldn't forget your pain, then your story must have a whole other set of secrets. You must know what it's like to expect an invitation. You might not know what it's like to wonder if someone is even waiting for you to return. Your idea of home might not contain ways to call blood cousins from another time zone or just shout from the middle of the road. There are those of us descended from peasants who never had to travel too far to visit the smiths who craft knives from hilt to tip, who cook 
blades that split the wood or carve the rind from flesh. I once went to visit the men who make the machetes of the Philippines. There was a time I didn't care where those knives came from, how the men and women stoked the embers and dropped their mallets with a millimeter's precision. When I was young, I thought hard with the mad dog you could send across a crowded bar. I thought hard was how deep you roll or how nasty the steel you bring. In some neighborhoods of America, hard is turning down the fire just enough so you could kiss the knife and make it ring. I'm gonna read two more poems. Is that right? <laughs> so, how many of you, I know the folks who work here know Ross Gay. Do other folks know who Ross Gay is? He's this really tall guy, <laughs> plays basketball, and he's a fucking dope ass poet. We went to grad school together, and uh, we used to play every Wednesday. Um, and we actually didn't even read each other's poems until we had already graduated. I didn't even know he was a, I was like, it was like after, I was like, oh, you're a pretty good poet. <laughs> um, and so he's from Philly, and uh, they used to call him, they used to call him Beast uh, on the courts. Beast. They call him Beast where he's from. And he will tell you that each living physical moment affords an opportunity to do something unique and beautiful. Now, clearly, this is bullshit. You see, I first became acquainted with beasts, grunt and howl metaphysics at a dust-sucking half-court game every Wednesday night in grad school when on several occasions, yes, I stripped the ball from him. Clean. <laughs> beautiful? No. It was ugly. But in the tradition of the many monsters who came before him, he did not cry for such ugliness. This beast is six foot four and speaks five versions of pound and pummel. In South Philly, I'm watching him play summer league where beast thinks he's a poet even when he hauls down a brick off the defensive boards and there's four other black men on the court calling to him, beast, beast, beast. He answers them with all the sensitivity of a critic foot, a quick pivot mid-court that knocks the opponent's skinny two-guard off the gawky pair of iron skillets grown out of the poor kid's ankles and projects them like an old neurosis across the crud-ridden gym floor. More than once, I've caught Beast's blunt left wing blade of his broad back on my chin, and then, with my best black top ineloquence, cursed him. Thank you. Fuck you, too. Isn't this so often the affection between men? That we should share not a single lovely word unless through a battered mandible. This is how I listened to Beast recite after those Wednesday nights his invented names for fire in such holy brag and trash, but also how one morning over tea in a more muted bravado, he narrated the quiet trauma of his father's final weeks, 
How his old man, whose oak switch cruelty beast had long survived. How he was shrunken down to a pair of scrawny ribs. How they yanked at the tethers to the gurney with whatever will he could scrape from his gut, already nearing the end of its slow cook to soup. Beast's father conjuring one last good ass-whooping glare would shake his head, pointing to his own mouth. He was signaling his son to remove the ventilator tube shoved a full foot down his rotting neck. Every nerve in his failing body yowling soundlessly, no, not this. I don't want this. Take the goddamn thing out. And Beast dutifully answered the way any noble animal must answer its closest kin, with his body, with the dangerous radius of his shoulders, with his muscle trunk, and with his breath. He watched the last of his father's silent, wide-eyed squawks and enacted his son's most loving disobedience. He held himself for hours there, perfectly still. Last poem. Two turntables and a mic. Gave a chance. <laughs> so I'll read a farewell. I've been, you know, I've been moving around a lot and traveling, and so I got, I've, I've been writing like every last two or three collections. There's been always been these um, farewells. So this is a farewell to all of you. It's our last speaker. Um, Despedida ardiente. Sort of, I wrote it when I was leaving. I was, I taught at the University of Texas for a year, and I, <clears throat> it's for my, it's for my grad students, and I was always trying, to, I was like. More fire, more fire. Oh shit, not that kind of fire. <laughs> more fire. So this is my, this is my urging to them. Despedida <clears throat> ardiente. Dear feverless, dear poets, dear lovesick ones now cured, there are bloodless battles to be won. Stout your maw with your finest curses. Yap your demons to their proper graves. Oh, meek weepers, A, symmetries, B, kiss. Let the trash stack in the kitchen. Keep your lover a full day from work. Oh, sweet neglect, oh, nectarine. These bitter pits are meant for more than nibbling, there is a holy jump off. There is a funky genesis. There is a reason love and jive kind of rhyme. You oblong fruit, not three days ripe. Somewhere in you lies the science of typhoons, a dream of strings, oh dirty word, oh first murder, oh cocoa butter whiff on a smoky bus. There are theories. We're made of mostly nothing but motion. 
Oh, gap-toothed guitar, oh, sound hole, you faraway drum, you slang-mouthed blessing, you long chime, you chamberless sextet. Let me leave you with a few last words. When mad dogs break chains to run at you, charge back, bear your very teeth. No monster, I promise, outruns you. Whack them on the ankle with a stick. Chase the bastards down. Listen, this vertigo, this wreckage, this bad ballad straining the thickest tendons of your legs. Oh, darling sleepers, may you wake in the middle of the night to strange sounds. You champions of laughter, all you have to do is speak simply. Your business is the truth. Your heart's catastrophe is just a little of history's twisted bulwark if there weren't a sky within your chest worth breaking believe me you would have stopped all this singing by now thank you I think part of it, um, part of it has to do with my dad. He was a priest, and so he was real comfortable being in front of um, being in front of audiences. And he, even though he eventually left the priesthood, there was a part of him that always continued to want to be a priest. So any opportunity to kind of be in front of people and and deliver sermons, he was ready to do it. And um, although I didn't always agree with the content and the substance of what he was doing, the form was amazing to me. His ability to engage an audience and um, reach real people in, inside the room. I, I mean, I, there's no way really for me to know that, but I can't think of any other ways. I also have a lot of musicians on my dad's side of the family. Um, and uh, I, know that, um, I know that I aspired to be Tom Jones when I was like four years old. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And then I, I just grew up at the same at the right time too, right? Like hip hop came, spoken word came. Um, I came right after Black Arts. Just you know, it's almost like I, I'm not. I don't think that I'm an anomaly. I think I'm a product of history. Any other questions? Shut up, <laughs> Okay. Oh, was there was there a question? Okay. <laughs> I'll do a short one about what it takes to write a poem. I, I have this letter from June Jordan that I treasure. We exchanged letters once 
and uh, it was about a, maybe just a year and a half or two years before she passed away. <clears throat> she sent me this one letter, and there's just really, it's not a weird line, but it was just unexpected to me. She's, she, it's, a, it's a letter about, like, you know, I believe in your poems, da 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 She didn't know me for, she didn't know who the fuck I was, but she wrote me. And one of the lines in it was, uh, she said, keep going. It takes a whole lot of sturdy faith. Hey. And then there's an exclamation point after the head. I was like, damn, how come I could hear her voice when I read her letter? <laughs> you know? So it takes a whole lot of sturdy faith. Hey. Poem. Take stones in the hole dug deep. Takes a knot in the back and shoulders slump. Takes a whole lot of fallen trees. Dead wood, dry brush. Takes genuflection at black rock. Takes a psalm in the valley blown. Takes one good breeze. Takes a god with broad hands and a breast soft enough for me to lay my head. To lay my head takes prayer. Thank you for dirt. Thank you for stubborn oak roots. Thank you for the trickle spring, for the winged shadows circling without a name, for sweat to cool me down. Takes earth and lake, takes the night, takes the stiff light by moons, takes a fire to warm my feet and a dragon I can see. Takes a whole lot of faith, sturdy, sturdy faith. Hey. Thank you. <laughs>